So we're going to be continuing in our Roman series this morning, talking about finding hope in suffering. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We'll be going through most of that chapter this morning. Been looking at a lot of uh, like different social media uh, memes and, and different uh, um, stuff that you see uh, people talking about that this has just been a heck of a year, and we are just barely halfway through it. I mean, for us in this church, it started with Pastor Roger passing at the beginning of the year and having to go through all of that. And then COVID came in and started getting everybody sick, scared us half to death. Then we locked down everything, including the church, for a couple of months. Then we had various shortages, including toilet paper, of all things. Still haven't figured that one out, why people hoarded toilet paper. Seems just to be the, the last thing that I'd be running to the store to get, but, but that's what happened. Toilet paper started going short, and then we started to ease down, up the lockdowns, and right around that time, you remember that the news media for probably, I don't know, three, four days started talking about murder hornets. Anybody remember that? Like the murder hornets were all going to swoop in and, and kill us all. Then the death of George Floyd, and the country erupts into riots, and probably the worst civil unrest I've seen in my lifetime. Now it's morphed into a serious threat to our country, in my opinion, as Marxists are hiding within these protests and doing their best to topple our country. Now we're dealing with a giant dust cloud for coming in from Africa, covering the southern part of our country, and I believe helping to spread COVID because it gives the virus something to attach to and float in the air longer. That's why you're seeing in Florida, Texas, you're seeing sudden spikes in COVID, probably because of the dust storm and the protests. Everybody out yelling at the top of their lungs. Um, helps spreading COVID around a little bit more. Anybody starting to feel like we're living in Egypt around the time of Moses yet? Waiting for the next plague to come? Is it going to be frogs? Is it going to be flies? Is it, you know, what's, what's coming next? Are we going to have to like have our firstborn move somewhere? I mean, we're really starting to get a little weird around here. And 2020, it kind of feels like just one gut punch after another. And with this political season now ramping up into full gear, it's just going to get uglier. I'm already getting phone calls day and night um, of who to vote for. Um, getting, you know, just robocalls and and emails and all kinds of stuff just declaring the evil of the other person and and it's just getting really nasty out there and I don't say this lightly but we could actually if this doesn't calm down soon I think we could actually possibly see small civil wars erupting within our borders as God's people I think we better get ready to give an answer for the hope that we have we have to be able to stand firm in this time for truth. And when we talk about hope, hope's a funny thing to want to cling to when the time grows dark. Most of us, when the time grows dark, the other side of us wants to start standing. The other side of us wants to start getting ready to defend ourselves. We want to start building our walls. We want to start stocking up on ammo and food and, and all these kind of things. It's like when a tornado is bearing down on you, the last thing in our mind is hope. We're thinking about how to take shelter and how to save us, save ourselves. 
But the storm we are in now, the storm within our nation, is going to affect every single person here. But this is why we need to cling to hope. And let's be honest. The American church, over the last 20 years especially, has really become ill-prepared to, to weather this season. But I know that our God is merciful. I believe that God is issuing a call right now to his church to prepare for this new season. Because it's going to be one that challenges each one of us in our dedication to the truth of the gospel and in our reliance to Jesus. So I'd like to welcome you here this morning. We are in God's classroom. Today we're going to be finding hope in suffering. And we're going to be in Romans 5, 1 through 19 in just a few moments. But before we delve into subjects that might not be as comfortable for us to get into, let's focus on what our hope is for just a moment this morning. One of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible is found in this chapter. And it's such a beautiful verse, I want to quote it to you right now. So just to, to lighten our hearts a little bit before we start getting into the, the really heavy stuff. So just close your eyes for a moment and just drink in this verse. Allow it to penetrate to the deepest parts of your spirit and your soul and your mind. Because this verse will enrich your soul and is life-changing for people. Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's one of those wow scriptures. That's one of those scriptures that says that, that, that we kind of look back at God and we say, even at my worst, you still loved me. Even when I... When I Turn my back on you, you still loved me. Even when I was when I was resisting and kicking your pulling you toward me, I, I, I kicked and I swung and I spit and I yelled and I hollered and, and, and resisted coming to you, God, you still loved me. But this verse should assure us that our God is still in control. God still loves us and God still has a plan to work out His will, not only in our personal lives, not only in the lives of this church, but I think even in the lives of our country, no matter what it might look like in the future. So we're, today we're going to read Romans 5, 1 through 19. And we're going to leave the last two verses off until next week just because it flows better. But we're going to read the rest of that book in, with this thought in mind. So Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts 
by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came through all men because all sinned. Before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin was not taken into account when there, was, there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, and even those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was the pattern of one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that comes by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trans trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as a result of one trespass was a condemnation for all men, so the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the obedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. And Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, for the book of Romans. We thank you for this, this incredible treaties of faith and grace and reconciliation between you and us through our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask, Father, that you take your words this morning, that you bless them, that you use them to change our hearts and minds to reflect the truth that we are supposed to be living in. Father God, I ask this in your name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to look at one of the ways that God is going to help us, I think, during this time of, of unrest within our nation and within our lives. And he's going to show us that he is still intimately in control and that he is going to bring us to that finish line within him. And he's not going to bring us to this finish line 
like a, a cross-country runner who's on their last breath and, and collapses at the finish line. He, that, that's not what he is looking for with us. He is looking for a, per, for a people that when we see the finish line, we run all the harder, all the faster, and we run past that finish line and right into his arms. We're not, he's not looking for people who are, are holding up their hand through the water because they're drowning. He's looking for uh, people who will be triumphant during this time and be victorious in him. So I'm going to call this first part of what we're going to talk about this morning, the Pilgrim's Progress. We're going to be focusing on verses 1 through 5. Now when we think of pilgrims, what do we think of, naturally, us here in America? Think of black hats, think of Plymouth Rock, we think of the first Thanksgiving. That's what we think of, of a pilgrim. But a pilgrim, by definition, is one who sets out on a journey of faith to a spiritual destination. People make pilgrimages all the time, particularly those um, in more of the older faiths, like Roman Catholics and Lutherans. So they go to specific areas that, that where they see a statue or a shrine or something, and, and they spend time there. And there's, there's really nothing wrong with that, as long as we're, we're focusing on trying to find God in that. But um, the pilgrimage that we're going to be talking about this morning is us just going through our lives. So verses 1 through 5 shows how God uses everything in our lives to bring us into deeper relationship with himself. And our human existence, our entire life, from the first cry we make to the last breath we take, is all a pilgrimage toward a spiritual kingdom. And one of the books that, that really shaped my view about the various things that we'll experience in life was a book by a man named John Bunyan called The Pilgrim's Progress. Anybody read, ever read that? It's a great book. It's an, it's an allegory. means it tells a story to emphasize a spiritual truth. And in the book, the main character is named Christian. And Christian takes a journey that leads him from his hometown called the City of Destruction. City of Destruction is just talking about is an allegory or a symbol of just unredeemed humanity and us living together in a, in a state that, that God is not pleased with at that time. And he's taking a journey toward a celestial kingdom which represents heaven. During this journey, Christian is carrying this huge burden with him called the weight of sin. And as he's carrying this weight of sin up this mountain toward the celestial kingdom, he is seen as being shown several side roads that he could take. And these side roads are represented as, thing, as different pitfalls awaiting him. Things like temptation, or fear, or doubt, lasciviousness, unbelief. All these things are put before him to take him off that path toward the celestial city. And it's a great book. It's written kind of in, in older English, but I encourage you to pick it up and read it someday. We're all pilgrims on this earth. And one of the mistakes that many of us make, especially I would say in the last 20 years of Christianity in America, has been to put too much focus on our lives here. And forgetting that this life is simply a stopping point to the place that we're ultimately going. 
God's word tells us to live our lives here as strangers in reverent fear, knowing that our home is with him in heaven. Because of this, we either are in a season where we're in this season now, where events and situations in life always seem to grab our attention and create within us things that, that are not godly, things that, that are the antithesis of what God wants in our lives. And many of these events we go through in life, they produce something called suffering. It may be mental, it may be emotional, it may be physical, it may be irritation, watching the news and wanting to leap through the TV and strangle the newscaster or, or somebody that, that he's interviewing or she, or she is interviewing. It's, it's, it's all a type of suffering that we can get into, into during this time. And you know, suffering can come in many different forms. And the devil's actually pretty easy, when, or not easy, sneaky when it comes to producing suffering in our lives sometimes. You ever have something that seems like an incredible blessing and you run right into it and it turned out it wasn't? You ever had that happen in your life? Before I became a senior pastor here, I probably had the senior pastor chair pulled out in front of me five, six, seven times during that time, different churches. And then a few, you know, a few years later, you see that church just utterly collapsed because it was such a mess to begin with. And if I would have ran after that, it wouldn't have been God's blessing or God's timing, but it would have ultimately harmed me. I had a, a job once pulled out in front of me where I'd be making six figures, but I'd have to move to Denver. And if I had done that, I definitely wouldn't be here now. And honestly, I'm not even sure I'd be following Christ anymore because it would have gotten me into that corporate atmosphere and who knows what would have happened. Devil will use distractions to try to or draw you off the path that God has for you. That's why having discernment and perceiving what God's will for you is critical during this time. It's critical because if we make the wrong choices, if we have that wrong mindset, it's going to produce suffering. Suffering is unavoidable, though. Suffering can be because of a mistake we make, and now it's a consequence of something that we did, and now it's just unpleasant. <laughs> and sometimes life just happens. We may not know the side of heaven why we suffer sometimes. We live in a fallen world. Sometimes that world just bites us where it hurts. So let's answer the question, why does God allow suffering to come into our lives? After all, we talked about the wonderful love of God and the incredible grace and forgiveness that he has shown us. And this idea really should fill us, our hearts, with gratitude and a love for our Savior. But sometimes all of that, that gratitude can be clouded by the fact that even though we have this incredible gift, we still suffer in life. And regardless of why, we are in a situation that produces suffering. God wants to use suffering if we will trust him and if we will let him. Let me use this as a personal example 
of a possible benefit of suffering. When I was a teenager in high school, it was right around now, actually, at this time of the year, we would start football practice. Kenosha had a very aggressive football program. They weren't, I'm not sure which is the best, I think 3A is the best. We were like 2A. So they were, they were pretty serious about their football team. We didn't start, just start football practice, we started two-a-day football practices. Now, summers up here are generally pretty warm. It's been pretty warm, but the air is relatively dry, except for like oh, about two weeks ago where it was hot and humid. Remember that? I, I had so many people complaining about how miserable it was outside, and I'm like, well, this just feels like Kenosha now. <laughs> We're right next to the lake. So we always had that, that humidity coming in where it just felt that tropical hot, you know. And, and it reminded me almost like being in Alabama in the summer when I was in the military and just that, that heat that you just walk outside and instantly you're drenched. Well, that's how we started our two-a-day practices. Two sessions of three to four hours of heavy, heavy exercise, full equipment on, running up and down hills, running patterns, practicing different football maneuvers, running in place, hitting the ground, popping back up, running in place, hitting the ground, popping back up. I was on defense for most of my football career. And I was a, a nose tackle. And our defensive coach, honestly, he was a bit of a sadist. He liked inflicting pain. Matter of fact, he said, that he wasn't going to stop practice until one of us threw up or passed out. So he would run us until one of us would literally pass out. I don't think he could get away with that today. His saying was, the more you sweat in practice, the less you bleed in the game. Our coach used our suffering to produce a result. He knew that we would be facing these other two A football teams. These teams would have absolutely zero mercy on us. It wasn't like the guard or the center was just going to stand up and say, hey, John, could you just please sack my quarterback? No, every single play, they were going to hit me as hard as they possibly could. Most of these guys were 250 pounds or heavier, and I'm a little 180-pound nose tackle. The only reason I survived is because I was quick. I could get past them before they blocked me. But every single time, every single play, I knew they were going to be trying their hardest. Therefore, our coach made us suffer to produce within us this physical and mental toughness that was going to enable us to rise above the conflict and triumph on the football, on the football field. In the spiritual realm... God uses suffering to do the same thing for us. It creates a spiritual, a mental, and a physical toughness and a surety of our faith and a dependency on God that will produce within us this thing called perseverance. And perseverance can be summed up just like this. When the going gets tough, you're going to stand your ground. You're not a quitter. You're not going to quit your faith as soon as this going gets tough, as soon as that temptation gets too hard, as soon as that person cuts you off in traffic, as soon as whatever is going to come your way, you are going to stand in your faith. And this willingness to stand when others flee is what character 
is all about. This suffering produces the perseverance and the perseverance character. And godly character can only be developed through perseverance in the midst of suffering. Anybody know what a Navy SEAL is? Everybody knows what the Navy SEALs are. They're the special forces of the Navy. Navy SEALs are the ones that took out Osama bin Laden, the ones that raided his compound and took him out. They're the, considered the tier one special forces. You have other ones, the Green Berets, Rangers, Delta Force. Air Force has special operations branch. Is that right, James? What are their special forces, like special operations or something like that? I know you could tell me, but you'd have to kill me, right? <laughs> yeah, the, Na the Marines have Force Recon. The U.S. Navy has the SEAL teams. SEAL training begins with something called Basic Underwater Demolition-SEALs, colloquially known as BUDS. It's 24 weeks of incredibly harsh training, almost inhuman training. Over 24 weeks, it has an 80% failure or dropout rate. 80% of the people who go in fail. And just to qualify for this, you have to be a world-class athlete going into it. But yet, 80% still fail and drop out. I was listening to a podcast recently in which a retired Navy SEAL named Andy Stumpf, he was a highly decorated SEAL during the War on Terror, he described the purpose of BUDS. He said, BUDS isn't about who's the toughest. He goes, those guys who walk into BUDS pounding their chest and declaring who, how tough they are are the first to wash out. He said, those guys who walk in and you can't see their neck because they have so many muscles and they're walking like this and flexing and showing people how strong they are, they'll be the second people to fail. He said, what BUDS reveals is the character of the person going through it. How they can persevere in the midst of suffering. And the instructors of BUDS, they use intense physical, mental, and psychological methods to produce the maximum amount of suffering they legally can within the U.S. military. Most of the dropouts occur during Hell Week. It's about week three or four of this training. It's five to seven days, no sleep, very little food, constant torment, sitting for hours in a cold, cold ocean off the coast of California doing exercises, hours, like five, six, seven hours. It's so bad they have medics there taking temperatures to make sure these guys aren't about to die because they won't quit. It's intense. If you don't have character not to be a quitter going in, buds will quickly reveal and re determine that you just don't have what it takes to wear that trident of the Navy SEALs. Now we can look upon these instructors as just evil, callous, wicked men. They're just mean, nasty people. Or you could see them as people who have gone through the same training. And understand that if they let, they understand if they let the wrong person on the team, it's going to result in that person's death and possibly the deaths of everybody else on that team and countless others if the mission fails. Imagine like the, instruct, the instructors of SEAL Team 6, or DEVGRU as they're called now, 
would have made it, it would have gone easy on the team that took down Osama bin Laden. Do you think they would have been able to storm that compound as efficiently as they did and taken him out? What if they have all been killed? He would have moved again and we'd still have terrorist attacks happening. I give you this perspective so that we can see suffering in a little bit of a different light. Instead of seeing suffering always as an evil, see it as a training. When we're, and it's, it's one of the hardest things we can ever do when we're in pain, when we're feeling sick, when we're feeling depressed, when we're feeling like the entire world is beating down on us. The hardest thing to do is to look up and say, God, are you trying to teach me something through this? God, what do you want your servant to do during this time? What inside me are you trying to change so when the heat really comes into my life, I'm not going to be a quitter. I'm not just going to toss the entire gospel aside. You see, most of us, we want the final product of suffering, which is that unshakable hope. But that's like saying you want an incredible amount of physical fitness and a, and a body you can just sit there and go like this and everybody admires it but you don't want to actually ever exercise. You don't want to actually ever diet. We say, well, how come God can't give me this unshakable faith, this unshakable hope? It's because you keep shirking his training methods. Suffering is God's tool to produce within us the character necessary to carry a future blessing. I used the, uh, the example last week you don't give the car keys to a three-year-old. A three-year-old is not mentally, physically, cognitively able to drive a car. But you wouldn't have necessarily have the same problem with a 17-year-old because they have matured to the point where they hopefully have the character to be able, to, a character and ability to drive that car safely, to propel that 2,000-pound missile down the road and not hurt themselves or other people. It's the same thing in our lives spiritually, is God has to bring us to that place of maturity where we can have that unshakable hope, that peace in the midst of any storm that life can throw at us. And what is that hope? It's our salvation. It's our salvation. It's not... And salvation, we, we focus too much on salvation sometimes as just simply being saved from hell. We focus on that too much. Paul tells us to work out our salvation. What does that mean? Salvation is very, very closely tied in with sanctification. Taking something that is unclean and making it clean. That's what sanctification is. It's taking us from our old lifestyle and perfecting us into the image of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, our hope, our thoughts, our behavior, everything changes to reflect God more fully. And that's what Paul is talking about when he told us to work out that salvation with fear and with trembling. I'm not going to really sugarcoat this because I just believe it's where we are right now in our nation. 
It may not affect us here in our nice little haven in rural Wisconsin as much as it will in cities and such, but we're entering into a, a season that is going to be very trying for some people. There's a key verse found a little later in the book of Romans that I think can help us during this time. And it can help us put suffering into its right perspective. And that's Romans 8, verse 28. For we know that in all things, all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the holy, the not so holy, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Now I ask you this morning, do you trust him, even if that trust will bring suffering? I would hope for us, and I want for us, to be a people whose only hope is in heaven, whose only hope is in salvation through Jesus Christ. That we would give permission to God, to do whatever it takes, including suffering, to form Jesus within our lives. To perfect us into that living bride of Christ that shines his light into this ever-darkening world. Amen? We're going to end with our communion time this morning. Everybody get a packet? You can start peeling the top and the middle layer if you want to. They're a little challenging. When you talk about suffering, really the person that we look to is our Lord Jesus. Look at what he had to go through to accomplish God's will on this earth. And it wasn't just Jesus just happily going to the cross with a smile on his face. He anguished over it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it said that, that he anguished to the point that he started to sweat blood. That's how much fear and anxiety he was dealing with when he contemplated of taking yours and mine's and everyone else's sin upon himself and suffering the wrath of God. Jesus allowed suffering to accomplish God's will. The Bible says on the night in which he was betrayed, he gave the bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body which has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Lord Jesus, we hold in our hands the broken, the symbol of the unleavened bread, the broken body that you allowed to be scourged, you allowed to be nailed to a cross so that we can be saved. You are the example of allowing God to use suffering to produce a spiritual goal. And Jesus, we thank you for everything you endured. We thank you that you for one moment didn't turn your back on it.
but you willingly trusted the Father and allowed God's will to be done. And the result of that is my salvation. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you this morning. Let us partake of the bread. Hallelujah. We praise you, Jesus, and we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, and we worship you. The Bible says, Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to all to drink, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is being shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we hold in our hands the symbol of your blood. The blood that ran down Calvary's cross. The blood that, that was poured out for us so that our sins can be washed away. In John's visions and revelation, he said that our robes, spiritual beings, are washed white in the blood of the Lamb. Every blemish that sin has tried to place upon us is washed away, thrown into a sea of forgetfulness. Lord God, that is just so incredible. Such love, such dedication, such not being a quitter, and such allowing suffering into your life, even though you did not deserve it. The Bible says, He who was without sin became sin for us, so that we can have the righteousness of God. And we thank you, Lord, for the blood. We thank you, Father. Lord God, as we partake of this this morning, let it wash our mind, let it wash our spirits, let it wash our hearts so that we can live during this time victoriously, clinging to the hope that is found in you. Thank you, Jesus. Let us partake of the juice. Hallelujah. Let's all rise. Hallelujah. 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 We thank you, God. We thank you, God. We worship you this morning. We honor you, Lord. You are a great God. I ask, Father, that you just help change our minds, change our perspectives, change our hearts, Lord, into a people that will follow you no matter what, no matter how dark it gets, no matter what it might cost us in this life. Let us be a people that stand firm on the truth of the gospel and bring many more into your kingdom. Lord God, I thank you. Father, I just bless your people. I bless them with the peace of God that transcends all understanding. I ask that it guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, and that you bless them this week with the opportunity to show and tell the gospel to someone they don't, that doesn't know it yet. Father God, I bless them now, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you and thank you for coming tonight. Remember, we're starting The Chosen at 6 sharp tonight.